scripture. Continuous praise. Continuous praise pleases God. And doing good and sharing with those in need. Those are, those are two areas that God is pleased when we do those things. Okay? So we're going to jump in and we're going to go through a good amount of scripture. If you want to follow along, we're going to have some up here. We're going to have the main text up here. But all of the scriptures are available in the sermon notes. You can hit Instagram, hit the link. It'll open up in the Bible app and everything is there. So there's a promise that God gives to this guy, Abraham. So Abraham is a, is a figure in, in Scripture, a, a man who we look at and was a very important person. So in Genesis 12, verse 7, it says this, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So here you have a promise of God. Now, I would say this. When God promises something, it is something that is 100% believable, will come to pass, okay? So God promises Abraham, and it says, to your offspring, I will give this land. So in short, we know that uh, his, his wife, Sarah, uh, she did not want to wait on God. But that's another sermon, okay? I'm just going to briefly go over this. She didn't want to wait on God. She didn't believe God could do what he promised. So in, verse, uh, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 2, it says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So she was not able to give birth, okay? It, it just wasn't happening. So she, in response, but it says she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So let me say it like this. A promise of God does not need our movement. A promise of God does not need us to fulfill it. We are to obey God, but we are not to move God's hand. So if, if and this is a random example, okay? I'm just literally pulling this out of thin air, like a magician. <laughs> um, if, if God promised you a bottle of water, right? He said, I'm going to give you a bottle of water. Let's just say, okay? Let's just say you don't believe God. So you go to the store and you buy a bottle of water. You put it down, you start drinking it, and then, boom, another bottle of water shows up. You did. You tried to move God's hand. You tried to do what he said he was going to do in your own way. So a promise of God does not need us to intervene. God will fulfill his promise. Okay? That's what we can count on. So we see this in Sarah. Like I said, it's another sermon completely, how she took it and, and went through and did her own thing. But we see a promise of God that the land will belong to the offspring of Abraham. That was the promise, that the land would belong to his children. So this promise is eventually fulfilled. We see it throughout Scripture. We see it in, in come to context. It, it, it's there. It's clear. And then we see a baffling request. Because remember, God promised that his offspring would get the land. So Sarah can't have kids. So then she is like, you know, freaking out. God, you promised it's not happening. What do we do? So she goes, takes it into her own hands. They have another a son that's not what God promised. 
And so then you have this uh, uh, baffling request because here is a couple who could not have children, and then God gives them a son in a miraculous way. Okay, Sarah could not have children. God gives her, a, she gets pregnant, they, they get a son. Okay, so Genesis 22, 1 through 18, that's where we pick up, and that's where we'll read along together. Genesis 22, 1 through 18, and I'm reading the New American Standard. It says this, Now it came about after these things that God t- tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So here you have this baffling request. This like, what? This is the promise that God gave him. And God is asking him, now give it to me. That's difficult. That's very difficult. Imagine, okay, imagine. Let's just put it in modern day context. Some of you are praying for a new job. Lord, I want a career. 500000 a year. You know, chump change, right? 500000 a year. I want to work four hours a week. <laughs> That's your prayer, right? Boom, right? And then God fulfills it. And you're like, what? I'm working four hours a week, making 500000 a year? And then God turns around and says, I want you to resign. That is a challenge. Most of us, it's easy. You know, if you're working a job you hate, God says, I want you to resign. Done, Lord. What do you want me to do? You know, like, easy. But if you work in a job that is a miracle, that you're like, man, I shouldn't even be in this position. And God says, I want you to resign. That is a challenge. So we look at where Abraham and Sarah, they have this promise of God. The fulfilled promise is there. They have their son. And God turns around and says, I want you to take and offer your son to me. Pretty vicious, right? The request was to offer his only son. So Isaac was the son of Sarah, whom Abraham loved. Hagar, wasn't, that wasn't the one he loved. Hagar was his wife's slave who was like, you know, it's not working. You know, try this one. <laughs> so Abraham, didn't, he didn't love her. He loved his wife. And so the request was from his heart, his corazón. That's the only Spanish you're going to get tonight. <laughs> that was the one he loved. And, and you look in verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. And he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he split wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place of which God had told him. See, the difficulty with sacrifice, the, the idea of the altar and putting something at the altar, is that there's a mindset that comes with our Christian walk. It is a mindset of sacrifice. Now, sacrifice is an intentional thing. It's not just, let's see what happens. Sacrifice is that he intentionally set out to do what God asked of him. He obeyed. He went to the place God told him to go. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Verse 7, Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, 
but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So you can imagine, imagine the son, it's his son, and they're going up, and Abraham knows what God is asking of him, and his son turns to him, you know, hey, like I see all this, you know, the wood, the fire, where's, where's the sacrifice? <laughs> can you imagine? He's like, <laughs> the kid was probably figuring things out quickly. He was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Where are we going, Dad? You know, like, this, this was a situation. It must have been so, like, challenging, right? But we see that he goes forward, right? The knife and the fire. He already cuts up the wood. He has it with him. And the, kid, the kid's asking his dad, where are we going? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide him for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. See, Abraham responds with this statement. Now, this statement is prophetic. When we read Scripture, we can gloss over that. But Scripture goes back into Scripture. And we see that there's a prophetic word, God will provide for himself the Lamb. And it's interesting because if you look in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29, it says this, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Abraham was prophetically speaking, saying, God will provide what he needs. What we needed as humanity was a perfect sacrifice, and God provided it. We go further in verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out with his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Now think of this. Think of this. This context right here is, is unimaginable. The heart of a father to sacrifice their own son. In, like highly improbable, impossible, a, a, a horrible context. And here God is asking Abraham, and Abraham reaches out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. We talk about the altar being a place of sacrifice and slaughter. But what comes to mind usually are the things we don't really care about. If God asked us to give up something, it's like, I don't really, that's not a really a big deal. No problem, God, take it. You know? Some of you, you know, well, we won't go there. <laughs> Some of you in marriage, marriages, you're like, man, Lord, take my husband, take my wife. Lord, take him, no problem. You know, like, <laughs> go for it. You know? And, and the problem is this, that when we really desire something, and God wants us to put it on the altar and to sacrifice and slaughter it, that's a challenge because that is the place where God is asking of us a true sacrifice. We talk about the altar is, is a place of slaughter and sacrifice. And here you have Abraham. He's ready to slaughter his son. In verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not reach out your hand against the boy and do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. See, sometimes what happens and that we see it right here, God is asking of us and, and we're, we're, it's, it's, this is the reality, okay? This might mess with your theology a little bit, okay? Now I know, okay? That's what happens here. 
in verse 12, he said, do not reach out your hand against the boy and do not do anything to him. For I, now I know that you fear God. Notice, notice, we believe in the sovereignty of God. Most of us here are used to the statement, God knows everything. He knows everything that's going to happen. But here he says, now I know, implying that he didn't know. And, and this is what I'm saying. I'm messing with your theology now. <laughs> You're like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> he says, now I know. I believe in the sovereignty of God. But I also believe God gave all of us the ability to choose. All of us. Every single person here, the weight of our Christian walk or the responsibility of the forward motion that we take as a Christian is in the choices we make. The power, the ability to choose, God doesn't take from us. He asks you to choose Him. And the, and the hard part is this, most of us are just like, you know, well, God's not going to ask that of me. He might. You know, they, there's a, a joke with all, you know, pastors, missionaries, and all that. It's like, you know, don't ever say you never will do something. Like if you say, I'll never, you know, do, I'll never do this. If God asks me, I'll never do that. And it's like, that's a thing God asks of you. You know, like it's like the thing you don't ever want to do. You're like, Lord, I'll do anything. Just don't ask me to do this. And like, that's the thing that's God asking of you. So I always be like, Lord, don't ever send me to Hawaii. To, you know, <laughs> I'm, it's a joke, but... What I'm saying is this, that there, there's this moment in Scripture where he says, for now I know that you fear God. And the reality of our walk is we see that God says, now I know. I want God to know that with the altar that has been built in my heart, nothing is held back. That's, that's a goal we should have as Christians. That there's an altar in our heart, and in, in our heart, there's nothing that is too sacred to be put there. Not, and, and that's the hard part, because if we think about it, we start to think about, you know, what about our relationships, our, our family, our friends? What about this? What about that? You know, what about the things we worked for? What about things that we felt that we accomplished? God, I worked for that. You can't ask that for me. But the place that, that God asks us is in that place where he says, now I know that it's not that thing you love. It's not that accomplishment. It's that you fear our Father in heaven in disobeying. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. This is, this is a context for us as Christians to hold on to. God will provide, right? We believe that. Verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. 
And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. See, the altar in our heart is therefore obedience. Not, not, and this is where I want to make sure this is clear. I'm not saying you obey my voice. I'm not saying I say something to you. You better obey. That is, I'll put it this way. You're not going to stand in front of God and say, but I obeyed Pastor Gabo. I obeyed Pastor Gabriel. I listened to everything he said. I obeyed to a T. God literally will be like, I do not care. (laughs) God wants us to obey him. How do you obey him? You have to know his voice. How do you know his voice? You have to know who he is. How do you know who he is? You have to read your Bible. How do, you, you know, how do you read your Bible more and begin to understand? You have to pray, too. You have to begin to discipline your life to say, Lord, who are you? I want to know your voice. I want to know what you're asking of me. Are you really asking of me to let this thing go that I, I want? The altar in our heart is there for obedience. The sacrifice might please God, but it is our obedience that he is most satisfied with. He, it, it, there's, there's a lot we can go on here, but in 1 Samuel 15, 22, we don't have it up here, we have it in the notes. It's a New American Standard. It says, in verse 22, it says, Samuel said, does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Question mark. Behold, to obey is better than a sacrifice, and to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. Understand this, to obey is better than a sacrifice. God literally says in Scripture from one of his prophets that obeying who he is and what he asks of you is better than the sacrifice you put on the altar. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. We know this. Jesus himself said, if you don't do the will of our Father in heaven, you will not enter into heaven. This is where the clarity of our Christian walk, the altar, the place of sacrifice, is clear that it's not just about the sacrifice, it's about the obedience. The obedience to say, Lord, there is nothing greater than what you ask of me. There's nothing more important. The altar was always a practice of obedience. If we look up in historical context, cultural context, we start to read about how the altar was literally the practice of obedience to say, to 100% to say, Lord, I'm going to obey you. That's where the whole process of it came from. God said you cannot even be close to him without going through this process. And it was obedience. That's where the altar came from, right? So it was always a practice of obedience. The sacrifice was to cleanse us from our sin so that we could be made holy to be in the presence of God. But it always represented obedience to what God was and is asking of us. Now the altar we speak of 
in our everyday modern context is a spiritual representation of our heart. I can, it's sufficient to say it like this. We don't build an altar in buildings anymore and come and sacrifice animals. We don't do that, okay? If a church does that, it's a little weird. They're weird, okay? They're weird. <laughs> if a church is doing that, don't go there. <laughs> we don't do that. It's not a modern practice of our Christian walk, okay? In our hearts, there is a spiritual representation of an altar. We have an altar in our heart where God will ask of you, and it is in your heart that you place something. You don't, you don't come, like, you know, um, I'm just trying to make it clear that you understand God will ask of you something personal, we're not asking you to come up and grab the mic and say, God's asking of me to give this up, to sacrifice this. You know who that's between? That's between you and God. And the obedience that, that, that God is asking of you, that is between you and God. The altar we speak of in our modern day context is a spiritual representation of our heart. We have an altar in our heart. In book of Hebrews 13, verses 10 through 16, it says this, We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Let me, let me back up a little bit, okay? The tradition was this. There was an area in the temple that everybody can kind of come in and be in, okay? You could walk in and you could stand there. And then there was another area that you couldn't enter unless... You had done a sacrifice and cleansed yourself. And then there was another area that you could never enter. It was called the Holy of Holies. And the priest, once a year, could go into there. And they had to do a major uh, a sacrifice. It was a process. It, it was a big deal. And you couldn't go in there. When Jesus died, okay, this is, this is a representation the sacrifice that was made allowed people to come into the holiest place. When Jesus died, he didn't die in the holiest place. He died where everybody was. And the reason he did that was to make that just as holy as the place that was cut off from us. And this is what happened. When he died, it says the veil in the temple, okay, that cut off the holy place, the veil tore. And it represented that Jesus died for us to be able to step into a place that was holy. And the reality of who you are and your Christian walk and the way you're going forward is the only way forward is through Jesus. And the altar in our heart that he asks, there's some things I need you to place on that altar. Verse 15, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual 
sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. There's a clarity in Scripture when we understand who Jesus is, what he did, and what we no longer have to do. But there's also a clarity that when God asks of us, it's not about our sacrifice that makes us holy or makes us better. You know, some, some of us, maybe, maybe God will ask you. Maybe you'll get that $500,000 a year job working four hours a week. Maybe you will get it, you know? Maybe. And maybe God will ask of you to give it up. And you'll, be, you'll give it up. This is the problem, though. <laughs> the problem is when you turn around and say, well, I had a $500,000 a year job, worked four hours a week, and I gave it all up. So I am holier than thou. <laughs> That's not true at all. Who cares what you gave up? God asked all of us to obey him. It's not our sacrifice that makes us holy. We have nothing that we can do that makes us holy. It is Jesus that allowed us to come into the holiest place through his sacrifice. And what he asks is our obedience. Our modern day context, and Brother Melvin come up. I'm going to have Pastor Mancha come up soon, but... Our modern day context, like I said at the beginning, on the altar of our heart, there are two sacrifices that please God. Continuous praise, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, and doing good and sharing with those in need. Let me say it like this. The continual sacrifice of praise to God. It, it's not, it doesn't look like you're in church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not what it looks like. It looks like when you're tired and, and you're just like, man, God, where are you? And, and you, in your heart, it's just, man, this is hard right now. And that sacrifice of praise is literally just, Lord, I feel so distant from you right now. But I still give you praise. I give you honor. I give you glory. I thank you for all that you have done in my life. That is a continual sacrifice of praise to God. And scripture teaches us that is what pleases him. That's what pleases him. It's not, and, and the hard part is that I believe in disciplines. I believe in structure. I believe in a systematic approach to growth in our Christian walk that we should read. We should become uh, uh, familiar with theology, with doctrine, soteriology, pneumatology, all these areas of understanding what the scripture teaches us. I believe that 100%. But I know this, God wants to know you. That's it. He wants you to wake up in the morning and to say, Lord, I just want to know you today. I don't know how, I just want to get closer to you. I want to know you more today than I did yesterday. <laughs>